Hello everyone and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is I Need No Name and I am going to be recording solo today because no one else could actually be with me due to scheduling conflicts. This is the one major thing that keeps getting us every single week and that is why you're getting your second solo flagship episode in a row after Chuck did last week's one. Sorry about that. So what are we talking about this week? Well, I don't think it's a secret, but Bayern Munich are going to be facing off against Manchester United in the Champions League, kicking off the Champions League com- campaign for this season. And well, um, I think people know my opinions on Manchester United, but just in case you don't and you're just listening to this for the first time, here are a few common questions that I get asked. First of all, do I like Man United? No. Do I respect Man United? No. Do I think Man United are a good team? No. Do I think Man United will beat Bayern Munich? Maybe. Do I think Bayern United should beat Bayern Munich? Absolutely not. What do I think will happen to Thomas Tuchel if he can't beat Man United? He should be sacked immediately. So, let's break down all of that. First of all, why don't I like Man United? Well, look, I'm recording this from India, and everyone outside of... I say Europe, I guess. I don't know what it's like in Europe, but everyone outside that, they, everyone will know this. You always have that deluded Man United fan who's a friend and he still thinks that Man United is the greatest club in the world, still being coached by Sir Alex Ferguson. And they look down on other clubs, especially Bayern Munich, because they're not in the Premier League or whatever, this, that, and the other thing. And it is so annoying, especially their fans on Twitter and every single other thing like that. It is just like... When you go through that, when you grow up listening to Man United fans being the smug, there is a word I want to say here that I cannot say because I need to mark this podcast as clean for Spotify to distribute it, but you know what I'm going to say. And I cannot wait for us to beat them on the pitch because that will stop them talking about us for a very long time. They just talk too much about us. The converse of this is that if we don't beat them, that's going to be catastrophic. We are never going to hear the end of it because the Man United fan base are huge and they are very loud. And they will they are at a point where they need some good news and beating Bayern Munich would be some amazing good news for them. Why is that? Well, Eric Ten Hag. So Eric Ten Hag is a coach that I think most Bayern Munich fans will rate. I think if people will recall... Back in 2019, when Hansi Flick first took over for Diko Kovac, he was originally just a caretaker manager, and the idea was that he would only coach until Bayern Munich could actually get Eric Ten Hag from Ajax, who was the top candidate at the time. Now, we all know what happened. Hansi did far better than expected, and he won the treble, and he got his permanent contract until he left to the DFB about a year later, which was unfortunate. But anyway... Eric Ten Hag at the time was a very highly rated coach. He had taken an Ajax team to the semifinals of the Champions League and was honestly one Lucas Mora insane performance away from reaching the final with Ajax, which is a team that has a budget that is a fraction of what top teams in the Champions League um, have at their disposal. So... He also came through Bayern Munich system in the sense that he was the youth coach at he was the coach of Bayern Munich 2, if I recall correctly. And he, in interviews, he still talks fondly about his time at Bayern Munich and in the Bundesliga. And he talks about how much he learned, and especially from Pep Guardiola, and about the German style of play and the German ideas of pressing and possession. 
So yeah, he was a serious candidate to take over at Bayern. Now he was hired by Man United to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And what happened? Well, that is very difficult to explain because technically Ten Hag did start well at Man United, but this is something that you see as a pattern in Man United for the last decade or so since Sir Alex Ferguson was fired. Well, not like since Sir Alex Ferguson, more like since David Moyes was fired. They get a new coach, they give him all the funds and all the control he needs to start a rebuild, the coach gets halfway through a rebuild, the results stop coming, then he gets sacked, and then a new coach is brought in and he scraps whatever the old coach was doing and restarts his own rebuild. Halfway through that rebuild, gets sacked, rinse and repeat, ad infinitum, and Ten Hag seems to be nearing the end of that cycle. He seems to be... He came in last season. Okay, he did start his rebuild. He got guys like Lissandro Martinez and Anthony. Basically just pillaged his old Ajax team. Guy is not exactly very creative when it comes to his signings. And then the results were pretty good. Man United did make top four. And in the Europa League, I believe... Didn't they win the Europa League? I'm not sure who won the Europa League. No, they couldn't have won the Europa League, obviously. Because they are in pot two. And they would not be facing Bayern Munich otherwise. I don't remember how far they got in the Europa League or who knocked them out. But I do remember that they knocked out Barcelona and Lewandowski, which was very, very funny to watch. And, well, Man United were pretty decent last season. Um, The few games I watched of them, they weren't very cohesive. They weren't very dominant. But they did seem to have some kind of underlying structure and plan. And they did seem to be building towards something. Now, this season, I... Given the fact that I already knew that we would probably get Man United, so I did watch their opening game against Spurs, also out of curiosity to see how Spurs would do without Harry Kane. And it turns out that Spurs did quite well, Man United not so much. They were extremely lucky to draw that game against Spurs. And the other game that I watched was Man United against Brighton. And against Brighton, well, I might just put this out that this might be controversial, but it feels like Brighton are playing much better football than Bayern Munich at the moment despite having far worse players in my opinion but well it's still Brighton and Man United got absolutely torched by them it was not even a close game it was like you don't have to catch the highlights because I'm just gonna say it was like it was really bad for Man United they were they had a good 10-15 minutes early in the first half but after that Brighton made certain changes or adjustments or whatever you want to call them and then suddenly United were just unable to get the ball forward unable to do anything with the ball they were they did think that they had gotten an equalizer in the first half where or was it the second half I don't know where Rashford crossed the ball into the path of Hoyland who tapped it in but it turned out that Rashford had actually allowed the ball to go out of play Man United fans on the internet keep complaining that this is a conspiracy against him by the referees, but the ball was clearly out of play. It is not really up for debate. And otherwise, the one goal that they scored, you can look this up, maybe that is something worth looking up, by Hannibal Medjbury, who is this youngster. Incredible name, by the way. Just imagine being called Hannibal. But he scored an absolute wonder goal from outside the box. But that was pure individual brilliance. By, sorry, why did I say by me? Man United did not really show anything in terms of serious tactics or serious cohesiveness. That is the problem that Eric Ten Hag faces. If you look at what they're lined up with against Brighton, which I assume is going to be similar to their lineup against 
Bayern Munich this week. They had Andre Onana at the back. Then they had Diego Dallo, Victor Lindelof, Lissandro Martinez, and Reguilon. And defense, they had Casemiro, who is looking more and more like Real Madrid sold him about the right time because he he does not seem to have it anymore. Scott McTominay, who is a guy that Thomas Tuchel apparently wanted at Bayern, God knows why, because he was so appalling. He was basically a non-factor. Christian Eriksen, who is still kind of good. Bruno Fernandes, who had a very weird role against Brighton, which I can't even begin to describe, but it wasn't really a standard attacking midfield role. Then there was Rasmus Hoyland up top and Marcus Rashford. And Rashford was more or less, if you look at the lineups on Google, it'll show it's something like a 4-3-3, but Rashford was very much... Um, playing as left wide forward, and he often cut inside almost like a Ribery type player. But comparing Rashford to Ribery is a bit of a deep blasphemy, which I do not want to do. What I'm going to say is that United, in terms of playing against Bayern, they have players that can threaten. They have Hoyland, and Hoyland, from what little I saw of him against Brighton, he seems like a pretty good striker. He has the strength and the holder play and some of the link-up play, and he probably should have had a goal. But the main guy I think that Bayern Munich should be wary of is Marcus Rashford because Rashford, he has a lot of pace at the moment and he seems like he has it in for, like he seems to be in form at the moment and he's going to be going up. Like, in fact, both of them are probably going to be matched up against Upamecano since Man United generally seem to be a very left-hand side heavy team, which put them up against the right centre-back at Bayern Munich. That is, I think, the main cause for concern. Otherwise, there is no real reason Bayern Munich should be worried about Man United. Their fullbacks aren't that good, especially at preventing players from getting behind them. They should be completely eviscerated by any combination of attackers that Thomas Tuchel chooses to play. And Andre Onana, apparently he has barely made any saves since coming to Man United. His distribution is great, but his distribution, I mean, does distribution really make that much of a difference? I mean, come on. It's Onana himself is a pretty good keeper. I rate him overall, but he has not really covered himself in glory since joining Man United, though he is probably still better than David De Gea. Lissandro Martinez is a bit of a bulldog, though. That guy, that guy could cause problems. But, again, realistically, Man United don't have a very cohesive unit at the back. A lot of it is last-ditch defending by their defenders, and that's what keeps them from conceding. Otherwise, the other way that they can stop themselves from conceding is by keeping possession. It's very strange to me that they play like this, because if you remember Ten Hag's Ajax, that was an extremely dynamic gegenpressing, you know, classic German system style of play that some people call the RB brand of football almost, which is kind of icky to me because it feels like Red Bull has almost appropriated a certain style of football. But it's the classic German style with gegenpressing intensity. Not exactly Dutch total football in my opinion, but I know that someone listening to this, maybe Siler, will disagree with me and explain to me why I'm a stupid idiot and completely mischaracterizing that Tenag Ajax team. But in any case, that team was brilliant. And there is none of that present in this Man United team. There are no real automatisms in attack. Often they just rely on the individual brilliance of players like Fernandez or Rashford to really make things happen in the final third. And at the back, individual defensive interventions by either their fullbacks or Martinez or 
someone like Casemiro or even Onana at times. It's just, you know, I didn't mention their midfield. And I think that's completely on purpose because both Man United games that I've seen, the midfield was completely a non-factor for them. And that's pretty much damning because in the Champions League, the midfield matters the most out of any position on the pitch. It is the almost number one determinator of which team is probably going to win. And in the case of Man United, not only do they not have the right players for midfield, they also don't have the right, how should I say, tactics for their midfield. I couldn't even describe to you what Ten Hag does in that sense. And I know Bayern Munich fans have many misgivings about the state of our midfield, Kimmich and Goretzka and Leimer and etc. etc. Tuchel wanting a number six and that debate is growing more and more toxic by the day right now. But... We are in a much better position than Man United right now because you can't even look at Man United's midfield and say, and really tell who's doing what. And it's crazy to me that they spent a large amount of money on getting Mason Mount instead of actually trying to secure a defensive midfielder. It was like every single, the, every single team in Europe was trying to sign a defensive midfielder, and Man United said, "Now nah, we're gonna go for this somewhat overrated." English attacking midfielder instead. They did sign Sofian Amrabat though near the end of the transfer window, which I just remembered. And there is, I don't think there is a chance that he's going to start against Bayern Munich because I believe he is injured, which is probably good news, I guess. And realistically, even if he did, I don't think he would make a difference. The thing about Ten Hag is that he is kind of losing the plot in Man United. As I said, they have a cycle, and he's at the end of that cycle. He has spent a lot of money on a lot of players. He has reshaped the squad in his image, and now the results are not coming. According to stats I've seen on Twitter, because, you know, watching Twitter after Man United lose is always very funny. Man United, this is the worst start after five games for Man United in the Premier League ever, which is a very funny statistic when you remember that Man United have effectively been in their banter era for the last 10 years, and it still somehow keeps getting worse for them. It's incredible how they keep doing this, but they're basically the poster child for a banter era right now, although maybe Chelsea are trying to take that crown for them. Anyway, the thing is that Ten Hag, he is not... He doesn't seem to have a quite a good grip on his squad. You look at what happened with Jad and Sancho. Sancho was criticized by Ten Hag for not being good enough in training. That's why he got dropped. And Sancho, who, you, if you're a Bundesliga watcher, you will remember how good Sancho was at Borussia Dortmund and in the Bundesliga. He used to get double-digit goals and assists in, while he was in the league. And people thought that he would go and light it up in the Premier League. And this is not really a poor assumption because you look at what Haaland did by going to the Premier League he completely lived up to expectations compared to what's happened to Sancho he has been horrendous since joining Manchester United and last season I don't even know if he really took part because like you never hear about what Jed and Sancho is doing anymore which is crazy for a guy who costs them so much money they have this guy now Ten Hag criticized him in the media directly and Sancho went to Instagram and posted a rebuttal basically calling the coach a liar. And since then, the thing has just completely escalated and it has become, well, it has become a complete mess, really. Sancho has apparently been banished from training and he's not going to be in the squad against Bayern and etc, etc, etc. But it is just a sign of a lot of dressing room instability at Man United and it's 
doubtful whether Ten Hag will be able to navigate this given what the pitch on pitch results are and how Man United have always been quite happy to fire coaches in the middle of a rebuild, which they did with previous ones like Mourinho and Van Hal and even Ole Werner Solskjaer. I feel almost dirty talking about Man United this much, honestly, because like how long has it been? It's been almost 20 minutes and I'm still talking about them. Why don't we talk a little bit about Bayern Munich? Because Bayern, what's at stake here? If we beat Man United decently enough, it's probably not going to get Ten Hag sacked, but it will be very, very funny. What kind of lineups did Thomas Tuchel use? And here's where I'm going to go um, a little bit controversial. So first of all, Harry Kane at the top. That's that's not obviously the controversial part. I mean, come on, Harry Kane has to start Thomas Muller behind him. This is very important. Thomas Muller always plays. I don't care what you think about him and whether or not he's finished. He is still the most important member of this team in terms of the attack, and he needs to play. But on the left, I think it's time that we saw Jamal Muziala as a left wing. Serge Gnabry, he has had a decent start to the season, but I think that against Leverkusen, he was not really that good. He had one of those games from him where he was completely out of it, unable to really make an impact, and even though he got a few shots on target, Muziala would probably be a very good option on that because I saw the way Kaoru Mitoma absolutely tore up Man United on their side of the pitch. Like, I think they're right playing. So having someone like Muziala plus Davies supporting him, that seems like the winning formula for Bayern Munich in that. And I hope the Tuchel does it. On the right, obviously, Leroy Sané. Sané has been so, so, so good this season. And there is absolutely no argument for benching him in the middle. Now, hear me out here. I still think Joshua Kimmich is a good player. Kimmich, the thing that happened with Tuchel and... The stuff that's going on with them, he got taken off and he was very upset about it and the 60th minute. But according to Tuchel, it was because of his injury. And I'm going to say I believe Tuchel, but the fact that Kimmich is so obsessed about it and even in the post-game interviews, he said, just ask the coach, don't ask me. It does seem like Kimmich and Tuchel's relationship is not that great at the moment, which is not good when Kimmich is probably one of our most important players even now. When Kimmich went off against Bayern Leverkusen, Bayern Munich lost a lot of control in midfield and were unable to really... Well, when Kimmich and Muller both went off, it kind of killed the pressing and allowed Leverkusen a lot more inroads forward. And that is something that you should not allow against a team like Man United because while they may not be that good, they still have threatening players who can hit you and score a goal or two, if that happens, anything's possible in football, although theoretically it should not be. Kimmich should play, and he should play in a defensive midfield role. I think that is still the role for him, and Goretzka should play next to him. That seems like just the most basic no-brainer move, and Goretzka seems to be in a good spell of form. He even scored against Leverkusen, and if you play those outfielders in that order, I think Bayern Munich should be just fine against Mad United. Despite that, there are some problems that I foresee. For example, Kane. Kane getting chances. Can we get him a few more chances, please? Man United are not that kind of a defensive team that are going to sit back and really soak up pressure. So there should be, theoretically, more opportunities for the players to find Kane in dangerous areas and allow him to convert. 
if that doesn't happen against Man United, we have a serious problem because it shows that Thomas Tuchel's offensive plan isn't working. It would show that Tuchel really needs to go back to the drawing board and decide what he wants his offensive players to do. Because in many games, it just feels like Bayern Munich start passing around the opposition penalty box in a U-shape and don't really know how to get the ball into dangerous areas and two strikers like Kane or Muller where they can actually threaten. Against Leverkusen, the opening goal was a set piece, you know? So it's one of those things that we're going to have to watch out for. The other thing that... Tuchel needs to think about is the defense. Alfonso Davies and, well, Kim and Jay, they seem to be completely locked in in their starting positions right now. And I think that Upamecano is definitely going to start because you cannot do without his distribution right now. That would leave the right back spot, which is the only question. And it's between Conrad Limer and Nusser Madraoui. I think that Personally, I would still start Mitzrawi. I know that Tuchel decided to start Limer against Leverkusen and the reason he gave was that Limer did quite well against Gladbach. But Mitzrawi just seems like the more natural right back and Mitzrawi seems to have much better understanding with Leroy Sané on the right because Sané looked a lot more effective when Mitzrawi was subbed on as compared to when he was not on the pitch. That is my reasoning for having Mitzrawi on the right. In goalkeeper, in the goalkeeping spot, it will be Sven Ulreich because apparently Manuel Neuer again suffered a setback in his recovery. Apparently he's feeling pain in his other calf, which is like he already have like a calf issue that had kept him from resuming team training at a certain date and he had already started team training. But again, he's gone back to just light running training. And it's just like, at what point do we start asking questions about what's going on with Emmanuel Noir? This new this news that came out from Tuchel about Noir's latest setback, it was met with very little fanfare or very little reaction from both the media and the fans. And I don't know I don't know why really. I wonder if fans are just starting to accept that Manuel Noir may not be coming back because it's very like he keeps having these setbacks and it just the clock keeps ticking down and if he keeps going back to like he's almost back he's gonna be back in a week he's gonna be back in two days etc and again a setback he's gonna take he has to take it slow etc etc it, it's like at that point what is going on like what are we waiting for what is at, at that point we just have to sit down and accept that Sven Ulreich is the number one keeper for this season because or at least for the Hindrunder because there is no sign of Manuel Neuer returning to actual competitive play anytime soon it's very disconcerting to see this and it's almost disconcerting to see that the Bayern Munich fan base has slowly been made over a very long period of time to accept this and almost not question it when Manuel Nora has another setback. It's like, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well, but it almost shows that we are settling for an unacceptable situation where our main keeper, we have absolutely no timeline on his return and we have no idea what we're going to do if he doesn't return because... Daniel Peretz, the Israeli keeper, I don't know if he's ready or not. No one does because we've never seen him play. I mean, of course, he did play for Maccabi High for Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, I think. And, well, uh, apparently, I guess he should have had good games there because otherwise, why would Bayern Munich buy him? But no one, I doubt many people in the fan base actually watch Israeli Premier League or whatever league it's called games. So 
it's a strange situation to be in with your captain and your goalkeeper. And I wish that the media would start asking more questions about that. It's strange to me also that the German media seems to be almost complicit in this by allowing this situation to go unaddressed in both press conferences and in news reports. Speaking of news reports, there has been a rather important development in the last week or so. We got a report that Thomas Tuchel is not a fan of Matthias de Ligt. What does this mean? It means that apparently Tuchel wants his team to be very proactive in possession, constantly making vertical quick passes. And De Ligt is not that is not really doing that. He's not really his apparently his passing is slow and it's going sideways far too often. And that is a reason that Tuchel has not given him a start in recent weeks. This was initially dismissed by a lot of members of the fan base and I would know because I wrote the article for that on Bavarian Football Works and the reactions weren't nice to say the least. But the thing is that Dilik kind of hinted that well, there might be something going on between him and Tuchel because he said in the post-match against Leverkusen that he doesn't know why he has not started in recent weeks and you need to ask the coach, which is similar to what Kimmich said after he was bent. So it's something, when you say you need to ask the coach, that is not exactly, that doesn't exactly mean that you are completely in line with the coach's decisions. He did go on to say that he's going to fight for his spot and all he can do is recommend himself. But at the moment, it feels like Tuchel has found his new, I don't know, has found his new scapegoat or whatever. What do you want to call it? Because before it was Goretzka, then it was Kimmich, and now it's Delict. He always has these weird moments where he doesn't really, like Delict was probably the best player at Bayern Munich last season and now Tuchel is coming here and saying that he is not getting he's not saying that but he's essentially implying that Delict is not getting starts because his passing is too slow what the hell does that mean and why does Delict himself not really know why he was benched why does Kimmich also come out and say that he doesn't really know why he was taken off what is going on behind the scenes in terms of communication between the coach and the players is that starting to break down? If so, that is very problematic because this is exactly how it went with someone like Carlo Ancelotti. The communication slowly got worse and worse and worse until at the end, Ancelotti was literally unable to even talk to his players and that's what led to the crushing defeat to PSG that got him sacked. Delict himself, you know, I'm going to say that it is possible that he could improve his passing. He did say that he does not mind being brought on as a midfielder and he was brought on as a midfielder against Gladbach and also a little bit against Leverkusen if you think about it that way. But in fact, I don't think he was brought on against Leverkusen. Uh, whatever. And my brain is just... It, it is suffering after several hours of emergency room duty. So just 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 bear with me here. Delict did say that he has played as a midfielder before and he doesn't mind playing as a number six, which is quite nice, you know, because I have said before that I see Delict as a potential number six candidate at Bayern Munich. But what is not nice is that it is possible that his passing could stand to improve. His passing was pretty good at Ajax, but in my opinion, since he went to Juventus, his passing did decline a bit. And last season, we did see a lot of moments where Delict, instead of pass, trying to pass forward himself, would pass it to Upamecano, who would handle distribution on his end. Now, Upamecano is a great distributor of the ball. But if you are constantly doing that, 
going from one center back to the other and only one center back handles distribution, that is going to make you predictable and make it harder for you to progress the ball from the back. And I understand why Tuchel may want to change that and may want to prompt Delict to do better on that front. If you look at how Kim Min Jae plays, he came from Napoli and Serie A and he has been taking on a role of trying to be more and more proactive with his passes. That resulted in him making a few mistakes, especially against uh, Gladbach, if I remember correctly, where he did pass straight to the opposition. But it shows that it is a certain type of football that the coach is instructing his players to play. Now, is Delict unwilling or unable to play that way? Is that, Or is it a lack of communication between him and the coach because he does not seem to know or he does not, he seems unwilling to acknowledge what the coach wants from him. That is pretty much the whole thing with Delict. And I wonder what it's going to end up as. Is this going to end up with a happy ending where Tuku manages to get Delict uh, to raise his game and then, you know, buy meaning benefit from it? Or does it cause even more fractures in the dressing room that eventually leads to Tuku sacking? So far... I'm going to bet on the latter because Tuchel so far, he has failed to com- he has failed to impress really. And that is why this Man United game is so important. I know that a lot of people in the fan base do not give too much importance to Bundesliga games. This has become extremely important over the last year or so where Nagelsmann consistently had issues in the Bundesliga and people rushed it off because of his great record in the Champions League. Well, the Bundesliga does matter, but a lot of people don't seem to think it does. Therefore, the game against Man United, even though I would say Man United are a far worse team than Leverkusen or RB Leipzig, both teams that Bayern Munich have already faced this season, playing against them, and if Tuchel, like, fails to give a convincing performance against them, it may convince both the fans and the bosses that maybe this project is not really working out. Therefore, the game against... Man United is probably a major litmus test for Thomas Tuchel in the court of public opinion. Whether that matters or not, I don't know to him. But it is pretty significant in my opinion. And it is pretty significant for Bayern Munich standing overall. Because if you think about it, playing at home, Bayern Munich are unbeaten in the Champions League group stages since since Ancelotti really. Which is a very long time. There are children who are now 4 or 5 years old who have literally never existed in a world where Bayern Munich were not unbeaten in the Champions League group stages. So if that were to end for any reason under Thomas Tuchel, that would be an absolute damning indictment of what he's doing at this club. Yes, it's true that Bayern Munich are unbeaten in the Bundesliga, but we could be doing better. And this is one of the most important points against Tuchel, that he has a lot of talent at his disposal and he should be doing better with it. The question is, when will he start showing results? If it starts against Man United, no one is going to begrudge him for it. Maybe a slow start is completely acceptable if you are a coach, given especially given the circumstances under which Tuchel had to take over. But if he, if Bayern Munich show an unconvincing performance against a very unconvincing Man United, well, that's that is cause for concern, and that is something that both the bosses and the fans will be very critical of. If Tuchel goes, maybe then Zabi Alonso, who the rumblings have already begun. Uli Hannes was asked about Zabi Alonso and he said that, hey, we already have Tuchel and let's not try and change coaches every year. It says man who changed coaches every year when he was in charge. And Zabi Alonso, he seems like the real deal, but 
The thing is that he extended his contract with Leverkusen right before the season started. So he's going to be very expensive if Bayern Munich want him. And it's not completely guaranteed that Zabi would want to come to Bayern because he also might fancy the Real Madrid job in the future. Why Zabi Alonso? Well, simply because Zabi has taken that Leverkusen team and made them play better football. And just based on that, why not? Why not? Right. That is really, I don't know. I I don't know what more to say about this game. Both coaches are kind of in trouble, you know? Both coaches really have something to prove. Ten Hag maybe a little bit less than Tuchel because Ten Hag is probably coming into the game with built-in slack because a lot of people don't expect Man United to beat Bayern Munich. Tuchel maybe has more pressure on him because people are expecting him to beat Bayern Munich and if, sorry, beat Man United, Freudian slip, but if he doesn't do that, the criticism will mount, and I think he does feel that kind of pressure. <sighs> wow, I've been talking for over half an hour, and I still have half an hour to go, so I hope you're still listening. I I don't know if I'm still being entertaining or not, and I hope that you at least disagree with some of the points I made, because you can comment on our podcast and say what you disagree with and what you don't like. I'm going to change gears now and talk about the DFB, you know? Because there have been certain things going on at DFB which, you know, cause for concern. First of all, I believe Chuck has already talked about this, but Julian Nagelsmann is considered the front runner for the coaching replacement of Hansi Flick. Rudy Waller will not be taking over and on a permanent basis. But a new candidate has emerged. Apparently, Stefan Kuntz has been fired by Turkey. And he is considered the cheaper alternative to someone like Julian Nagelsmann. Now, I'm just going to put this out there. If the DFB have a chance of getting Julian Nagelsmann, and apparently they have already contracted his agent, Volker Struth, and according to Uli Hernes, Bayern Munich will not put any obstacles in the way of Julian Nagelsmann were he to go to the DFB. But if the DFB have a chance of hiring Julian Nagelsmann, salary be damned, and they don't do it, that will be a damning indictment of what's going on with German football right now. It would just be the most ridiculous decision because I can't see any coach who is available right now better than Nagelsmann. A lot of people will say Louis van Gaal, but I think Nagelsmann right now is a better coach than Louis van Gaal. And I think he could get a lot of the a lot out of these players. He did not necessarily work out at Bayern Munich, but at Germany, you know, maybe he could cook and maybe he could be a long-term option at Germany, which he was not able to be at Bayern Munich. The problem is the DFB, and this is being recognized by certain people at the top, because if you recall, after the debacle at the World Cup, there was, well, the DFB created a task force with people like Hans-Joachim Watzke, Karl-Heinz Rubenegger, um, Oliver Minslav, and I believe Rudy Waller was also on it. They were supposed to be the people, like, kind of oversight and giving oversight and advice to DFB. Well, Rummenigge and Minzlaff, they have both pulled out of that. And according to Rummenigge, it's because the internal procedures at the DFB are a complete mess. The oversight board was never even consulted. And, well, because of that, you just have to wonder, like, what is going on behind the scenes? And it doesn't give you much faith in the fact that like the DFB are really gonna make the right decision on the coaching front and actually hire the right person and get Germany on any kind of real trajectory back to the top. 
yes, there was a win against France, but that's kind of like a band-aid over the wound at the moment because Germany still have so many problems that they need to fix. Maybe Nagelsmann could be that guy, but also much deeper problems that, well, <clears throat> apparently are not being done in the behind the scenes. In the meantime, there are uh, some other things that I just want to talk about, for, namely the captaincy of the German national team. Why is Ilkay Gundogan now considered the captain? Like, against France, Thomas Munder started. Why was he not wearing the armband? He has more caps. He's the more senior player. What is going on with Ilkay Gundogan being made captain? Thomas Munder has led Bayern Munich for years and years in Norris' absence. And he has also, like, been one of the best players for the German national team in this generation. So why would he not be the guy instead of someone like Ilkay Gundogan? It's... it's I... I'm trying to make a point here about the weirdness of the decisions made by the DFP, but I, it is something that is very difficult to articulate in the podcast because I have to think and talk about what I feel while also making it sound palatable to an audience, and that is just not working out for me at the moment. Let me just leave you with this. It is very weird to me that Thomas Muller, a guy who has done so much at the German national team level, when he is starting, that he would not be wearing the armband and it would be given to Ilkay Gondwan in its place. It just want, makes me wonder about what is going on behind the scenes in terms of the priorities of the DFB and what they think about players and what their roles are going forward. Do I have anything else to add? Honestly, I don't think so. And that's unfortunate because we are 40 minutes into this and I was supposed to talk for a much longer period of time. Uh, oh well. This was I Need No Name. Um, thank you for listening. Please put your predictions for Bayern Munich vs. Man United in the comments or in this. And let me know what you thought of this podcast. Sorry about it being a bit shorter than usual. But honestly, I could not think of much more to say. And my brain is slowly getting a bit scrambled here after talking for such a long time. Thank you for listening. Please do check us out when we have our coverage on Man United coming up. We will have a game thread and we will have observations, match awards, and a post-game podcast for you to consume. So thank you for listening and I don't know, good night, goodbye. I don't know what to say. <laughs>